Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to extricate yourself from the remainder of this ridiculously long introduction to pour yourself a drink. I recommend a scotch or a port. Port is lovely this time of year. Weekdays. Uh, Grab yourself a snack as well. Maybe some jerky. A rind, perhaps. You decide. You be your own judge. I believe in you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this hump day in the Daily Boogie week. Hope you had a lovely night. I certainly have got so much to get through and so little time. Uh, thank you for sharing the show out. If you did, if you didn't, well, that's okay. You get a free pass. That's all right. But make sure you bring a note next time. Explain why you didn't share the show out. The people demand to see the truth. And I want to know, I want the whole note. I don't want a redacted note. Don't give me shit about national security or you're trying to protect people. I don't want to hear any of that. Just give me the full unredacted truth of what took place, what transpired for you to not share the show out. (laughs) Plenty to get through. Um, If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to hand in that note tomorrow, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I've gone above and beyond today to try not to talk about the Ukraine. (laughs) But... How long can we avoid talking about the Ukraine? It's a wonderful country. Beautiful country. Lots of pretty... You know, one of the uh, winners of the Miss Universe pageant came from the Ukraine. Beautiful women you have there in your country. Beautiful country. I know a lot of people from the Ukraine. Tremendous people. Very strong people. You know, I have a lot of friends here in the United States who come from the Ukraine, and they tell me that, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're doing good things there in your country, in the Ukraine. Very strong people in the Ukraine. We love our friends in the Ukraine. So we're not going to talk about the Ukraine too much. Um, maybe we should kick it off with doing a little bit of the rumor stuff. So um, have you guys been hearing... Oh, by the way, if you want to jump on the show at any point, just jump in the Discord, jump in the waiting room, and then we'll get you on the podcast. I'll talk to the producer. I'll put. Don't worry, I'll put in a good word for you. And I've got a feeling... That the producer will let you in. The producer will let you on the show. It's going to be okay. You didn't hear that from me. Pinochet sipping on some mint moonshine. <laughs> that's a lovely melding of something that tastes like toothpaste and something that's probably a byproduct in the manufacture of toothpaste. Well done. You're very cultured down there in uh, wherever the hell you are. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's do the rumor mill, shall we? Um... The first thing, yes, 24% support impeachment. So just to carry on from James R's uh, chat, Heisenberg was saying 54% of the population support impeachment or investigation. And I said, yes, 
that's the problem in the, in the chat. It's, you're always constricted by the amount of characters you're allowed to use. I said, yes, the or part of that <laughs> is is your is your roadblock there. By by shoving the two together, you're being disingenuous from the outset, which, to be fair, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on, most polls are. It depends on who writes the questions and how they're presented. And more often than not, these days, polls are used as, a, as an attempt to try and drive opinion rather than accurately represent it, I find. <clears throat> but putting that to one side, yes... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if 54% support impeachment or an investigation. And my point still stands, as you so eloquently put in the chat, Heisenberg, 24% support impeachment. And the point still stands that I've been making for months now that impeachment is a very, very unpopular thing to do, regardless of who the president is. Because I think for most people, it represents the political class deciding amongst themselves to remove somebody that they would rather remove at the ballot box or employ at the ballot box. And people don't like it necessarily when politicians overstep the mark, right, and start taking decisions out of the hands of the public, real or manufactured. So, yes, by shoving the two terms together and putting an or in the middle, it does not mean that more than half of the population supports impeachment. So let's... Nip that in the bud. <laughs> that might change in the future, um, but I don't think so. <clears throat> and not enough. And the other problem too is 24% of the population might support impeachment, but it's all about where that 24% of the population are. Because if the, the majority, if 98% of the 24% live in places like LA or New York or other liberal strongholds, then it will have absolutely zero effect other than negatively when it comes to the elections in 2020. You see, because uh, elections aren't fought and won on opinion polls in New York and LA, congressional districts, for example, encompass a much more you know, wide-ranging demographic. And all of those purple districts in the middle of the country, where it's kind of 50-50 and you can win a seat by you know a few hundred votes here and there, even if 50% of the population supported impeachment, those seats would go tumbling viciously, violently over the cliff into the hands of the waiting GOP candidate, thus ensuring one of the most slowly run yet epic political suicides for the Democrats of all time over the last three years, doing everything they can to keep the voters that they lost in the losing column in 2016 continuing to disassociate themselves from the middle class and the working class and instead embracing fringe voices with fringe ideas and radical solutions proposed which are highly unpopular in that big massive space between LA and New York but hey that's just one guy's opinion from the outside looking in you can accuse me of being a dirty foreigner if you wish that's fine so the rumour mill, people have been on Twitter saying, and I, I wonder if you've noticed this too, people are starting to come out, hey, hey, Hillary Clinton, Hillary's going to run again. <laughs> I was never one of the people who said it is absolutely out of the realm of possibility that Hillary Clinton should run again or would run again. Um, I think she probably deep down in her heart of hearts still believes that she could win if she did run again. And there's probably enough people around her telling her that if she 
ran again that she would have a good chance of winning because uh, these people more often than not love love to surround themselves out uh, surround themselves with yes men and people are there to pump up their ego but the other reason why I never ruled out and I'm not saying she will run again whether she runs again or not is you know we'll see but one of the reasons I never ruled out her running again was because it was plainly obvious to me that she kept herself in the press and she continues to keep herself in the press. Now, what other reason would she have for continuing to keep herself in the press to continue talking about 2016, the book tours, the speaking tours, the, the constant getting herself in front of a camera and talking about it and answering questions about 2016 and what happened in 2016 and I was robbed in 2016. Why would she want the press following her around? Why would she have PR people following her around, taking pictures of her on planes, going across country? Like, this is highly unusual for somebody who is no longer involved in politics at any level. It's not a very well-kept secret that the Democratic Party themselves would much prefer if Hillary Clinton just went by the by and said goodbye and never said another word. Many people in the Democratic Party are on record as saying... That they are, they are, they are more convinced of Hillary Clinton causing them to lose 2016 than they are of any Russian plot. She was arguably the most unpopular candidate for president of all time. Now, some people would say that Donald Trump was the most unpopular president of all time, uh, most unpopular candidate of all time, but he beat her. So that kind of puts a, a dampener on that theory. Right, So I always thought, well, she's keeping herself in the press because the possibility might be there and maybe that's all she needs. And people might think that she still has enough of a, you know, a stronghold in places like LA and like New York where she still controls or she still has the favor of a lot of the big money donors to the Democrat Party that she might be able to find a pathway to the nomination again even against the wishes of the Democrat Party themselves. So don't rule it out. Stranger things have happened. If I had to put a number on it, I'd say maybe there's like a 10% chance that she might nominate again. She has to know how unpopular she was. And if she doesn't, then she shouldn't run again for merely not understanding, for not merely being able to take the pulse of the public at any given time. That should, that should rule her out indefinitely. The other thing I want to talk about too is uh, the pullout from Syria, which I find most amusing, the commentary surrounding the pullout from Syria. Uh, put your hand up if you remember a time not that long ago, say in the mid-2000s when the corporate press and the you know the more progressive brothers and sisters amongst us were beside themselves howling about American imperialism and the great original sin of having troops in foreign countries. Does anybody else remember that? Shit, I even think I remember attending an anti-George Bush rally at one point. <laughs> Not that I was particularly vociferously anti-George Bush, but because I think I was in the area at the time. Oh, I'll go down and check it out. So put your hand up if you remember those days, and those days are long behind us now. Now, all of a sudden, the great crime is to leave. And people are saying, well, some of the arguments that get thrown around in this discussion are just plainly absurd. Especially, 
I, I'm not going to think for a second that anybody has the ability to identify themselves as being hypocritical at any point. But putting that to one side, people are saying, well, if, if we pull out our troops out of the Middle East now, well, that will mean it's more dangerous for the United States in the future. And it's like, okay. But in order to go along with that logic, you would have to forget the last 20 years when people were saying going into the Middle East is putting American lives at danger, right? People have been saying the exact opposite thing for the last two decades. Oh no, if we keep sending troops to the Middle East and if we keep invading foreign countries and if we keep bombing foreign countries, that's going to mean that we're more at risk. That's why you have to take more refugees because it's our fault. There are refugees, right? Now, don't be a bigot. You need to open up your borders because we've bombed those people and they're really angry at the United States. So they should, and, and Australia, don't worry, we're in that mix too. So we've gone over there, the big imperialists and their sidekick. We've gone over there and destroyed these people's homes and killed their parents and bombed hospitals and all the horrible stuff. So you need to let these people in and let them move next door as, you know, a kind of penance for your crimes. And, and fuck me dead. Now... You've, now you've got a president who's saying, you know what, uh, let's just bring everybody home. I don't think it's right. One of his core campaign promises, mind you. He's out there saying, oh, we need to bring the troops back. And the, the, flip, the script has been flipped. And now all of a sudden, oh, if you bring all the troops home, it's going to be more dangerous for the Americans. You can't have that. It's utterly insane. It's psychotic. Like I said, you can follow that logic if you want, but you just have to ignore the previous 20 years of rhetoric that has been counter to that very point. So I do find that strange, but not entirely surprising. Um, let's get into it tonight. I wanted to talk about the Joker movie. I know a lot of people have been doing this. A lot of people have been talking about it, but uh, something that uh, gets my goat, so to speak, is when... Uh, how can I say this? Look, we did a podcast back when this was just a podcast for people who are new to the show. Um, if you go to the podcast website, and there's a link on my timeline somewhere, and you can go back and listen to the earliest, uh, the earlier previous episodes of this podcast when there was no live show component. It was just a recording. And we did a show uh, called something like The Dangerous Power of Storytelling. The Dangerous Power of Storytelling. And it was about a guy who wrote a book about a would-be jihadist. And it was a young kid who goes into a library with the intention of blowing up the library. And he walks into the library and he sees all these other kids like reading books and enjoying themselves and learning and stuff. And all of a sudden he falls in love with the idea of reading books and having an imagination and learning in the library. And he, he can't bring himself to blow it up. And then you would think, oh, this is a lovely, uplifting story. Well, then, of course, as is the trend, uh, somebody, an unknown group of people, uh, came in and said that this is highly offensive because it's pushing dangerous stereotypes and can lead to harm being caused to people. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how this is even possible. Like, how could you get that out of this kind of story. It didn't make any sense to me. And this wasn't just some anonymous blogger on the internet. This was an award-winning author who wrote this book. And I hadn't read any of his other books, but people were telling me, no, this guy is quality. He knows his stuff. 
I'm like, wow, okay. So an award-winning author got taken down. And when I looked into it, you know, 10 minutes of research, I found that this group called something like the Association of Asian Writers or something like that, the people who lobbied the publishing company to have this book removed off the shelf. I discovered that their Twitter account had been started a month before their campaign and their website had only two entries on it. The website was also started a month before the campaign to have this book banned. (laughs) And the two entries on the website were, we are going to start a petition to get this book removed because it is dangerous. And then the following post was, thank you so much to everybody who signed the petition. We got the book removed because it was dangerous. The Twitter account had something like 70 followers. But again, the name of the account was something like the Worldwide Association of Asian Writers. And I just wonder if the publisher did any background at all, if they did any research at all, or if they just saw the name of the, on the petition and thought, oh, well, we can't upset anybody. We can't upset these people. Look, it's a worldwide association. What have you written, you dangerous thug? What kind of bigotry are you involved in? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I need a glass of water. <laughs> So it was all very pretty offensive, if I do say so. But there is, you know, once upon a time, uh, storytellers and writers and actors and especially comedians, because comedy is getting slow fucked to death, I'm afraid. Once upon a time, all of these various artists in all of these various disciplines would have gone into bat for each other, even if they didn't like what the person was writing even if they didn't like what the person was saying, even if they didn't like the jokes, because they understood that there was an underlying subtext to once we start getting to the point of suppressing art, then we're all fucked eventually in the long run, right? But those days seem to be long behind us. Now you have people losing their jobs on SNL and the rest of the the comedy world coming out and saying, well, I'm glad he lost his job. And it's just shit that makes your eye twitch. Now you have authors advocating that other authors should be removed off the shelves. And that, and this kind of thing can extend to the internet. You have internet personalities advocating the removal of other internet personalities, completely oblivious to why we have principles like uh, free speech and free expression in the first place. Because it protects them just as much as it protects the people that they don't like. But they... We've, we've become politically and philosophically illiterate to the point where we're shoving our head up. We're so busy shoving our heads up our own assholes that we can't smell the winds of change blowing around us. So you can imagine then how I've been taking a lot of the reporting regarding the Joker movie. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not going to give you any spoilers. But a lot of the reporting around the Joker movie has gone down a similar track and like I said a lot of people have gotten into this Um, one of the shows I really like on YouTube Revenge of the Sith those guys have been really onto this really strong and done tremendous stuff on this topic Um, so we had you see the Joker has been described as kind of like an incel hero an anti-hero and this of course in our politically charged atmosphere is a problem for people because you're not allowed to have people that you relate to or, or the people aren't allowed to be up on pedestals that you, the disgusting opposition party, identify with. Only our heroes are allowed to occupy the pedestals. 
and only our monuments should be kept. Only our books should be read and only our characters should be adored. Anything that runs counter to that is a potential insurgency in the arts world, you see. So it must be banned. It must be stopped. I need to do away with it. <laughs> so I went to one of my favorite stomping grounds, that being Salon, where I myself put on a face mask and masquerade as a progressive who wants to ban everything. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for the, thanks for the article. The politics of the Joker explained... Few characters are as fraught with political meaning as those who have appeared in America's recent Batman films. Politics is inextricably linked with popular culture. <laughs> the first the first line of this article and already again the eye the old eye starts twitching uncomfortably. It's kind of true to say politics is inextricably linked with popular culture. But then again, it's kind of not going far enough. A lot of people say, you know, for example, the late great Andrew Breitbart used to say that politics is downstream from culture, meaning that uh, a political system will more often than not represent the kind of culture that that system is in. That's why things like free expression and free speech are, in worldwide terms, very extremely rare. Because springing up from the English tradition of individual liberty, which came from many places, none more so than the Magna Carta, the signing of the Magna Carta, and then which flew, which uh, flowed on into century after century after century of uh, exploration in this in this field, right? Which eventually led to uh, the American Republic being born, right? Uh, Freedom of speech and individual freedom and individual liberty is a tiny flickering little flame on the hill. And the whole rest of the world represents the mass, the dark cloud that seeks to extinguish that flame. Because in other cultures, they would see free speech as blasphemy, as for example. Uh, free expression would be offensive to God or to the family or shame or and all kinds of other cultural factors that play into why individual liberty and freedom and what we have here in the West is so rare just because of our history, centuries and centuries and centuries of it, which is probably why the modern education system tries to cut us off from history, which is another discussion entirely. But politics is inextricably linked with popular culture. But here's the other thing too. The kind of people who say we need to ban words and ban things and ban people and deplatform people and ban books and ban movies are the very same people who literally want to inject uh, politics into everything. Because it's not good enough for these people to have students in a classroom learning about ideology. No, they have to live the ideology. Political ideology and activism culture needs to be pumped into the NFL, the NBA, uh, TV shows, right? You Certain TV shows, <laughs> let's be fair, all TV shows now have to go through a series of checklists. And so, well, are you being diverse enough? Are you being tolerant enough? Is this an inclusive show? Are we going to be unnecessarily offending people here? If we are offending people, is it worth the risk? Will we still make money? On and on it goes. So they wanted to inject popular culture into everything. Somebody saying, what's the shirt? It's Peter Griffin, man. It's Peter Griffin. You know the family guy? 
So they wanted to inject pop, uh, politics into everything. They wanted to inject politics into every aspect, every artery of popular culture. One can only assume for the sole purpose of being able to turn around and start banning parts of popular culture that don't agree with their politics. Few characters are as fraught with political meaning as those who have appeared in America's recent Batman films. As comic book fans flock to cinema to see Joker, the new Todd Phillips film about the iconic clown Prince of Crime starring Joaquin Phoenix in the title role, let's take a closer look at cinematic depictions of the title character. The shooting at the screening of The Dark Knight Rises in 2012 actually had nothing to do with the Joker, so they're being honest in that respect. Because a lot of people said that the uh, shooter, what was his name? Uh, what was it? James Holmes. There you go. James Holmes. When he killed 12 people in Colorado at the movie cinema because Batman happened to be playing on the movie, they said that he was inspired by the Joker character because he dyed his hair. And the author in this article actually points out, goes at lengths to point out, uh, yes, he did dye his hair, but pretty much all of the evidence and all of the statements that we have from the court, the judge included, say that it doesn't. It didn't matter what movie was on at the time. If it had have been a Marvel movie, he it, it, everybody would be blaming a Marvel movie. If it had have been, you know, fried green tomatoes, everybody would be blaming, you know, intensive dramas that make women cry for the shooting. It was just the movie that was on at the time. The Dark Knight was widely perceived as having a neoconservative bias. <laughs> With Batman representing the security position of George W. Bush and the Joker standing for the abstract concepts of terrorism, chaos, and anarchy. Isn't that funny too? So now the Joker is also flipped around. Now the Joker is the right-wing hero where once upon a time he was the left-wing anarchist hero. It's almost the same as getting troops out of the Middle East. Once upon a time... <laughs> We didn't want troops in the Middle East. Now we want more. At least leave them there. George W. Bush in power, bring the troops home. Donald Trump says we should bring the troops home. No, we should leave the troops there. Whilst George W. Bush is in power, the Joker is an anarchist hero. Whilst President Trump is in power, the Joker is an alt-right incel. <laughs> Dangerous man inspiring mass shootings. This interpretation has been supported by other pundits, including Josh Yong and Leon Thomas, who captured the same points, even if they did not necessarily share Clavin's uh, ascent. After all, this is a film in which the hero tortures people, violates national and international law, and engages in mass spying in order to stop a villain who just wants to watch the world burn. While the Joker is certainly not a theocrat in the vein of Islamist terrorists, his anarchic philosophy is accurately summed up in his famous monologue to District Attorney Harvey Dent. You know what I've noticed? This is from the movie. Nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press like a gangbanger will get shot or a truckload of soldiers will be blown up, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mare will die, well, then everybody loses their minds. <laughs> the image of the Joker was used to ridicule Barack Obama in one of the most famous examples of right-wing street art during his presidency. And I had to look up this right-wing street art for myself. Look at that. This was written back in 2009, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if I can get that article... See if I can get the picture to zoom in. 
All right. Look at that. 2009. So are we looking at one of the first memes? Remember, kids, if you're if you're a kid, if you've if you haven't been on Earth for long, uh, once upon a time, memes were posters on light poles. Really, Granddad? You mean so? How did they get the meme onto the light pole? Did you have to stick your computer on there? Is that how it worked? No, son. We used to print out the meme onto a piece of paper and then stick it to the pole using something called scotch tape. Scotch tape. Wow. <laughs> You're so awesome, Granddad. I know. Old school memeing, ladies and gentlemen. And I thought my jokes were bad, sneers Heath Ledger's Joker in the Dark Knight. The character is today at the center of a row about dodgy humor, but it's got nothing to do with his gags. Remember, this is back in 2009. A poster has been appearing across Los Angeles and other parts of the United States in which President Barack Obama is depicted as the supervillain with the words socialism written beneath his made-up face. Who has been pasting it up is not widely known, but it marks the first time a negative representation of Obama has gained mainstream traction, as well as the American right's first successful use of street art. But is it dangerous? <laughs> is it any good? You see, even back then, ladies and gentlemen, people were asking the question, is right-wing art dangerous? Why would art be dangerous, full stop? But why specifically right-wing art? Why would that be dangerous? I love this. I love this paragraph. Street art is traditionally a tool of the disenfranchised and outlawed. It was the valence that made its use by Obama supporters in last year's election uh, so potent. Today, justifiably or not, many of Obama's opponents see themselves as disenfranchised outsiders. Reminder, this was written in 2009. Laying claim to this mode of expression is a, a clever way of expressing that sentiment, rhetorically, marking the new administration as power or even tyranny and its opponents as rebels. The choice of medium is smart, the message not so much. Do you want to know why? <laughs> Do you want to know why this uh, this art is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen? Well, let me tell you why this art is dangerous. Socialist, of course, is a grave slur as can be is a graver slur as can be directed against an American politician. But isn't any sitting president, even a broadly popular one, a legitimate target for satire? Uh, it surely is an irreducible facet of freedom of expression that leaders be held up to ridicule. Unless that ridicule includes incitement to violence, objections generally boil down to matters of taste. The Joker poster is mean-spirited, sure, as plenty of satirical images are, but is it dangerous? If it is, it comes down to race. <laughs> yeah, because it's racist, you see. It's racist because it's a black guy in the poster being painted with the white paint. That's why it's dangerous. So it should, we should probably ban that kind of thing from happening because racism. Okay, so we're banning art that has racism. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what was another part in? Okay. As with the New York Post cartoon that conflated an Obama initiative and the shooting of a rogue ape, it's a moot point whether the intention was bigoted. So even back then in 2009, they were saying it doesn't matter if you're trying not to be racist, you can still be racist if we say so. Uh, the simple fact of publishing an image of a black president with his face covered in white grease paint, but for the eyes and a red slash of a mouth 
can't help but evoke a minstrel aesthetic, even if it's in reverse. <laughs> so whiteface is racist, ladies and gentlemen. Whiteface is reversed minstrel mocking, and it needs to be done away with. And besides that, it's just not that funny anyway, guys. Back in 2009, the first meme, I think. Let's go down here to the bottom of the article. Joker tells the story of Arthur Fleck, a renter clown with severe mental health issues who is repeatedly mistreated by society and eventually becomes violent. The concern seems to be that while Fleck's story is not a direct parallel to the types of right-wingers who become violent, there are enough similarities in the film that could inspire future acts of violence. Okay, so is that the new line then? Anything that could inspire future acts of violence. Do you see how quickly we've accelerated from people citing inspiration for acts of violence? For example, there are a few people who would uh, happily strap say, perhaps, uh, you know, a couple of pounds of C4 to their belly and you might say shout religious epithets in their native tongue whilst walking into a cafe in Paris and then pulling the cord, they would say that they have been inspired to commit this act as a direct result of reading a certain book. But you must not say that. No, no, no. You must not say that. That would be bigoted and wrong. For if you were to say that, then you would be taking out of the discussion all of the things that you've done to inspire this act. You shouldn't even look at the book at all. The book has nothing to do with it. Things written on pages have nothing to do with inspiring acts of terror. <laughs> Guys wearing white face makeup in movies, though, that's a different story altogether. Because remember, right-wing art is dangerous, folks. Quote, in America, there is a mass shooting or attempted act of violence by a guy like Arthur practically every other week. And yet we're supposed to feel some sympathy for Arthur, the troubled lamb who just hasn't had enough love. But again, isn't that often the case when it comes to people who commit acts of terror when they come from a perhaps a certain demographic? And they'll say, well, this is just a poor young man who felt ostracized. This is a poor young kid who was confused and felt oppressed. And these kinds of acts will come out of feeling oppressed and ostracized from mainstream society. And it's all your fault. You haven't done enough. You need to reach out. You need to be more, more open and giving and tolerant. You need to do more to understand what motivates these people. It's just too easy and bigoted to point to a single piece of literature or a single work of art and blame that as the inspiration. But that was then. And this is now. You see how things have changed? Now you can just point to a movie and say, yep, that's the guy. That's the guy we're looking for. We need to ban that movie immediately. All these white incels, all of these white right-wingers are going to be inspired to commit heinous acts of violence. Throw it on the scrap heap. Do away with it. Zarachek's views are echoed by David Elrich in IndieWire, who described the film as, quote, this is a great quote, a toxic rallying cry for self-pitying incels and hyper-familiar origin story so indebted to Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy that Martin Scorsese probably deserves an executive producer credit. Critics can be scathing, can't they? <laughs> the character of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises has become something of an icon among the alt-right, 
who embrace his anti-elitist message as a reflection of their own values and has been referenced in hate speech in response to Black Lives Matter protesters and across the most vile, trolling corners of the internet. When Trump used music from The Dark Knight Rises in one of his re-election commercials, it was recognised as a dog whistle and removed after Warner Brothers raised its hand in protest. So, so let's investigate this because, as they say, right-wing art is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. Right-wing art needs to be done away with. So let's take a couple of minutes to have a little look and see what Bain was talking about. Let's see why he's such a, a hero for the right wing. Let's see what makes this guy such a right wing hero. Let's see what identifies as right wing these days. Because remember now, everything is flipped around. We've done a complete 180. We want the troops overseas and we need to ban art. This is the modern progressive left. Keep the troops. American imperialism is good. Art is wrong and dangerous and needs to be banned. That's where we're living now in 2019. So this comes from a scene in uh, The Dark Knight Rises, I think it's called. Yeah, The Dark Knight Rises. And this is uh, as Bane, the anti-hero, the alt-right hero, is liberating prisoners from the Gotham City prison. And he gives this little speech. <laughs> now, if you listen very carefully... Um, you might not see too many things that are distinguishingly conservative in nature or distinguishingly uh, right-wing. Is distinguishingly even a word? I'm not sure. I better have another sip of smart juice. Hang on. Mm. Beautiful. Less brain cells make brain go good. So I don't know if you'll see anything that identifies as distinctively right-wing here. But there are probably a few tropes that you would have recognized as 15 years ago or 20 years ago coming from the other side of the aisle, which might seem a little familiar. Let's have a look. We take Gotham from the corrupt, the rich, the oppressors of generations who have kept you down with myths of opportunity. <laughs> Now, I know it's hard to understand him through that mask and his cadence, but he's saying we will take Gotham from the corrupt and the rich and the oppressors who have kept you down for decades with myths of opportunity. Hmm. <laughs> if, you had to take, if you had to take that in isolation, take that in a vacuum, um, which side of the political discussion does that most remind you of? <laughs> Is that going to be the conservative guy or is that going to be the Antifa guy, right? <laughs> Remember, this guy's a right-wing hero, folks. He's a right-wing legend. The right-wingers love him. The rich, the oppressors of generations who have kept you down with myths of opportunity and we give it back to you, the people. <laughs> Gotham is yours. Who streets our streets? Who streets our streets? Who streets our streets? Oh, yeah. Bane is a real right-wing hero. <laughs> because, you see, the other thing is uh, people are so dumb now. People are so, so inept that they will take memes as a direct representation of somebody's opinion. 
So if somebody does a meme of Bane and makes it like a Trump supporting meme, they'll go, oh, Bane must be a Trump voter. Look, all of these right wing trolls are using Bane as a spokesman. Therefore, he must be a right wing hero. We will take Gotham City from the rich, from the powerful, from the people who have oppressed you for decades with myths about opportunity. (laughs) He doesn't sound like a right wing hero to me. He sounds like he's minutes away from kicking down the door of a Starbucks. Sounds like he wants to hand the power back to the working class, if anything. But hey, who am I to argue with the critics at Salon? They know their art. They knows their arts, goddammit. And this is obviously a very dangerous right-wing guy. So this was on Inside Edition the other day. I want you to take careful note of just how, if we want to talk about art being dangerous, listen to how dangerous, listen to the kinds of dangerous areas that this is going into now, this discussion. Joaquin Phoenix's dark, hyper-realistic portrayal as the Joker is causing backlash before the movie even opens. (laughs) Remember, we're all afraid of backlash now. We mustn't have backlash. No more backlash. Joker doesn't open until October 4th, but already critics are calling it dangerous and worry it could inspire violence by those who feel isolated and believe they don't fit into society. (laughs) Hey... You know what's great for people who feel isolated and don't fit into society? We should all jump on one of the movies that they enjoy watching. Once one of the for one of the fleeting moments that they escape from their basement and their skin is so translucent pale that you can almost see through it because they don't see any sunlight whatsoever. You know what makes people feel more included in society is by telling them that there are mass killing waiting to happen if they see this movie. <laughs> We have such little faith in you, the people out there, that we think that you will go in, watch this movie, and turn into a mass murderer. I can't, I can't, I don't understand why these people feel detached from society. Why don't these people feel more included in what we're doing here? Can't they see that we're all one big team? (laughs) So let's ruin their favorite movies for them. Please, that will make them feel more included. Great job. Several victims of the 2012 mass shooting in Aurora, Colorado, are now expressing concern about the film. Twelve people were killed and 70 injured when the gunman, who has been compared to the Joker character Uh, uh. because he sported bright dyed hair. (laughs) He's been compared to the Joker character because he sported bright dyed hair. That's all it took. Open fire during a screening of The Dark Knight Rises. Sandy Phillips, whose daughter was killed in the massacre, told The Hollywood Reporter that the new Joker film feels like a slap in the face. Wow. Now, nobody, like, I I hate doing the caveat. I hate doing the cliched stuff, like, uh, obviously. So I don't do it, generally. But I, I will break my own rule here just for once and say, nobody's going to uh, say that you don't feel very real loss and you feel robbed. Having a family member gunned down in that fashion must be horrifying to my worst nightmares. But that doesn't mean a movie is insulting you. 
that doesn't mean the writers of the movie and the actors in the movie and the producers and the people who funded it and the people who worked on the script were sitting around thinking of ways to get in your face. That's not how this works. That's that's not how we operate in free societies. You don't have the right to take this as a personal insult. That is not your right. You don't get to do that to everybody else. Even if even even though the hurt is real and it and it's terrible and it's it's going to be with you forever, you don't get to point to other people who've never met you, who've never spoken to you, who have just putting a movie out and say that they are slapping you in the face. You don't get to do that. Despite the controversy, there's already Oscar buzz for Joaquin Phoenix. His performance was called riveting, both unsettling and weirdly affecting. Phoenix walked out of- Exactly. See, now Ben's already onto it. Ben can see the, the slippery slope that occurs here. So movies about 9-11, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, all slaps in the face too. What about movies about uh, fat people that eat too much? Well, my, my aunt uh, died of uh, heart failure because she was so fat. Therefore, we should ban all the fat movies. This feels like a slap in the face. At this point now, you have to literally talk about banning every movie. Every movie is going to upset somebody. Every movie is going to be offensive to somebody. The way that we get by, the way that we allow freedom to flourish, and the way that we don't stifle creativity and imagination is by understanding that just because somebody over there did some art doesn't mean that they are insulting you because of what happened in your personal life. We all get by on this agreement. And once that agreement is broken, shattered into a million pieces, then what? Then what do we have? What kind of society do we have where that agreement is shattered, where that agreement no longer stands? Because then it's going to get into a situation, well, <laughs> because this people are so shallow and people are so plainly self-serving that they only want to ban the stuff that they don't like. But then you run into a problem because the other people over there are going to say, well, I don't want to ban everything. I just want to ban the stuff that I don't like. And individually, they might have very strong cases and very good reasons for believing it. But we don't ban it because if everybody just bans the stuff that they don't like, then nobody gets anything. And that's not how we roll in the West. Like, I, it might seem it might seem a little, you know, nerdy and it might seem a little douchebaggy to turn criticism of the Joker movie into an emphatic defense of Western values and Western civilization. But that's really, when you boil it all down, that's really what we're getting at here. That's the crux of the issue. We have, we have spent so long pissing on what it means to be us that we don't even remember what it means anymore. We have spent so long trying to please and trying to become something else that we've forgotten what made us good in the first place. And we're becoming a culture that views everything as a personal insult when it shouldn't be. And we're becoming a culture that wants to censor everybody who isn't us and ban everything that isn't us and ban art, ban books. (laughs) 
I, I feel like an idiot even saying this, but, um, you know, one of my criticisms of conservatives of years gone by is that they wanted to ban too much stuff. And we're talking about on this show things flipping around, going 180. So once upon a time, the left hated American imperialism, having troops overseas, and hated the idea of uh, people banning things, banning art. And we've gone completely full circle and we're now facing the other way. The left wants to keep people in overseas countries. They want troops in the Middle East and they want to ban art. So, like I said, one of my greatest concern, one of my greatest criticisms of the right has always been that they wanted to ban things for so long. But then it also leads to, I think, what eventually is going to happen, probably more slowly this time because the internet suppresses more than we could have ever have hoped for in previous years. But it's, it's at the same time as it suppresses things for the, for most people, it also creates subcultures and underground cultures and stuff. And I think one of the reasons that, you know, the progressive left, the mod, the intellectual left, whatever you want to call them, rose to such prominence in culture in the West is because, specifically because, uh, the conservative side tried to ban everything. So they made it cool. They made it cool to be, you know, an angry lefty anarchist. Hey, hey, fuck with your parents. Listen to this album. Hey, want to piss off your church? Want to piss off your church? Then buy this comedy record, right? Oh, he swears. Richard Pryor, he's so dirty. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, I don't even think it's a left or right thing. I think it's just a human thing at this point. We can't wait to do the same thing again, collectively as a society. Right? Let's ban all the stuff. Let's ban all the things an interview after a reporter asked if he was worried that the film might inspire violence. Later, he defended his role. I don't think it's the responsibility of a filmmaker to teach the audience morality or the difference between right or wrong. I mean, to me, I think that's obvious. It is not the responsibility of artists to teach you morality. One might say it is your responsibility to perhaps think about morality when watching something that questions it. Like if you feel a tinge in your morality bone, a twang in your morality sensor when watching a movie, then that might be the, you know, the artist, the, the, the writer, the poet, the songwriter, the actor, whoever it is, the comedian, that might be them intentionally putting you on the spot to question what you think, to question what you believe to reflect and sometimes that can be dark and sometimes it can be uproariously funny but it's part of what makes us us to have that ability and I don't know about you guys but I don't want to sit in a room where everybody agrees at all times I don't want to sit in a room where everybody has a certain preset ideological disposition and we are only allowed to intake things that correspond with that disposition someone like me will go insane in that environment i can't handle a room full of people all agreeing with each other at all times if i'm in a room of people that all agree with each other my brain will you know subconsciously as a reflex start looking for reasons to disagree with them because that doesn't that doesn't sit right with me it doesn't feel right i don't want to be in that environment 
So I'll start arguing with people, even if I agreed with them five minutes earlier. If I walk into a room with a certain opinion and I, then I walk in and there's 100 people that all agree with that opinion, all of a sudden I start thinking, hang on, am, am I missing something here? Why is everybody, why are we all agreeing with each other? Surely there's got to be something else that we've missed. Hey, did you think about that? Hey, I thought you agreed with us. Oh, well, I kind of do, but I'm kind of questioning you at the same time. You know what I mean? That's not what they want. They want wall-to-wall consensus. Wall-to-wall artistic consensus. <laughs> and, and then we become the very kind of society that we used to mock and laugh at. The kind of society that we vowed we would never become. We're hurtling there, 100 miles an hour. Critics are raving. Joaquin Phoenix is the talk of Oscar season already. But it's also garnered some negative reactions, too, because it's unlike any superhero film that we've seen in the past. It's very violent. Can you introduce <laughs> It's unlike any superhero we've ever seen in the past. It's got violence in it. <laughs> no. No, comrade. We all know the problem here. It's the type of art that's being represented. It's the type of identity that's being represented. That's the problem. We don't have a problem with offensive art as long as it's the offensive art that we like. And we love banning offensive art if it's the offensive art we don't like. And it's exactly that kind of shit that will end us as a society. So there you go. I'm, I'm probably going to go watch it. I'll probably... No, I, you know what? I won't go see it because I hate going to the movies. I'll wait until I can watch it at home. And in, in the tradition of the Joker, I might even stream it illegally. <laughs> because that's what he would want me to do. Because he's my hero, obviously. Because I believe everything that the Joker says ideologically and he corresponds with my political views emphatically and I wouldn't want to upset the Joker man because I am, of course, a, uh, what is it? A right-wing, pathetic right-wing incel or something like that. Or something like that. But then again, I also like Bane one more time, who sounds a lot like a communist. Let's, let's just do Bane the right-wing hero again, shall we? Bane the right-wing hero who spews things that would've, wouldn't have been out of place at a, a communist workers' party rally in the late 1990s. And do you accept this man's resignation? And do you Hates accept the, the resignation of all of these liars? We take Gotham from the corrupt! <laughs> the rich! The oppressors of generations who have down with myths of opportunity. That This guy could run for the, the Communist Party of America. That's how lefty that shit is. You, you, if, if you're out there writing blogs saying that Bane is a right-wing hero, you, you must be completely politically fucking illiterate. Like, beyond, like, I wouldn't even be able to talk to you at a cocktail party. You know what I mean? Like, if we're standing there having a margarita, hi, I'm Boogie, how are you? Hi, I'm great. My name's, my name's uh, Gary. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Gary. So what do you do? Oh, I'm a movie critic. Really? That's, that sounds fun. So you get paid to go out and watch movies? Yes, but that's not that's not even half of it. You wouldn't you wouldn't even believe the amount of horrible political indoctrination I have to face on a near daily basis. Oh really? What are you working on? Well, I've just been watching this 
awful and disgusting, grotesque display of toxic masculinity that some people are calling Batman. I'm sure you've heard of it. Well, anyway, I was in the theater, and it occurred to me that this Bane character, who wears a mask on his face, obviously because he's a Nazi and he's afraid to show himself in public, but obviously this this right-wing Nazi-type character was talking about things like, oh, we want to liberate you from the oppressors and we're taking back the city from the corrupt government and handing it back to the people. I mean, he, he sounds like a conservative hero to me. I, I would just stand there with my mouth open. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to talk to the guy. <laughs> just like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to have to go over here now and uh you know i think i'll talk to the I, I think i saw a crazy lady over there with face tattoos uh you know i told her i'd go and you know chat her up so good luck with all that my man <laughs> the right-wing hero who talks about liberating the oppressed masses and handing the city from the corrupt to the working class <laughs> these people these people are fucking unhinged mate these people, these people are thick as crude oil. That's pretty fucking thick. All right. I wanted to show you this story. Don't worry. Don't panic. Society, society isn't falling down the toilet, going down the toilet at a thousand miles an hour. This will perk you up. This is a feel good story. Voice AI systems will be everywhere and phones will disappear in 10 years. Yay. Gee. Gee, you know, having a phone on me at all times so any fucking asshole can call me or message me or email me 24 hours a day and expect an immediate response, that's not convenient enough for me. What I want is to have microphones in every room at all places at all times just so they can hear what I'm saying at any given time. That I think that would be so much better, don't you? Doesn't that sound like a wonderful world that we're living in? I love that these things are always wrapped up for your convenience. You know what I mean? No, no, no. The worldwide prison with cameras and phone and microphones everywhere, listening to every single utterance that you have. That's for, that's to make the line go quicker at the airport. That's to make sure that you get your hamburger order faster than what you would have to do if you had to physically walk up there and talk to the guy, or if you had to order it on an Uber Eats app. We're making this better, not worse. Trust me. I'm in science. Entrepreneur Gary Vanyachuk claims the AI system will connect us to the internet from anywhere and will enable humans to down their phones and phones and merely speak to access any information or make purchases. I don't see any problem with this whatsoever. What has emerged in the last 24 months and will continue to grow is AI-driven voice devices in our homes. I believe over the next decade, when you look at how much of what we do today through a phone will be done through audio and voice. Picking up the phone like a caveman. <laughs> you know, you know, why are we living in the dark ages? Why do I have to pick up a phone and look at it to unlock it? Why do I have to press literally three buttons to get food hand delivered to my door? Why do I have to go through all that torment and torture? Why do I have to do these chores to get fed? Why can't I just scream into the ceiling, I want pizza, and have the pizza delivered? <laughs> Why can't that be real? 
Think of the time we'll save. I would like, I would, I for one would like to see a study on the amount of thumb injuries that have occurred since the advent of mobile phones. I think we can do away with all that. It's <laughs> great. Let's just have more device because they, it's not like there hasn't been controversy of late of devices listening to us in our homes. You're almost like I don't want to put on the tinfoil hat here, but I, I think I'm, I'm I'm almost obliged to polish old foily and whack it back on the noggin because it's almost like they're trying to normalize us to having something listen to us in our home at all times. It's almost like. They really do just want to put microphones in our homes for some reason. No, no, but don't worry. It's for your convenience. It's for your convenience. We're not, we're, we're not, we're not going to be listening to you all the time. It's just when you order a pizza. That's the only time we care what you're talking about. It's just when you want to buy something off Amazon. That's, that's the only time we're going to be listening to you. What has emerged in the last 24 months and will continue to grow is AI-driven voice devices in our homes. I believe over the next decade, when you look at how much of what we do today through a phone will be done through audio and voice. <laughs> Notre Lou in the chat on, on DLive says, Alexa, CIA. <laughs> I know you were saying Alexa is CIA, but I would just like to ask Alexa about the CIA. Alexa, what's the CIA? Never mind, nothing, go back to sleep. Go back, would you like a Domino's? Would you like some chicken strips? Would you like some ranch dipping sauce? Yes, but what about the CIA? I think somebody wants a free Pepsi. Okay. Send it over. I love you, Alexa. I love you too, human. <laughs> Voice with a device in our home and office and car will surprise people quite a bit. There will be no reason to grab your phone in the morning to see what the weather is when you're brushing your teeth and you ask Alexa or Apple or Google or Weibo or whatever it may be what the weather's gonna be like. What fucking, what fucking world am I living in? I'm gonna sound really old here, but I don't even give a fuck. Remember when it was really uncool to talk about the weather? Remember that? Like, remember hating small talk? Where you were like, oh, God, talk about the weather, are we? Isn't there anything more exciting going on in the world? Look how quickly we've regressed. We are now. This guy envisions a world where you're brushing your teeth and can't wait to talk to a machine about the weather. It's not even another human being. Alexa, it's been 15 minutes since I talked about what the weather is. Can you please talk to me about the fucking weather? How sad are we? Do, do we not have friends at all? <laughs> Imagine doing small talk with something that's not even real. It's not even really there. It's not a human. I can't, I can't wait to get my Google home because I've, you know, back in my day, we used to talk about the weather all the time. You know, it, was, it wasn't much on TV back in those days. Of course, it was just a test pattern with uh, a young Jewish individual reading the alphabet forwards and then backwards, backwards and then forwards, four hours a day. So that's the only entertainment we had. So back in my day, the weather was a hot topic, pun intended. <laughs> you see, your grandfather can still be quite quick from time to time. But I remember having uh, lots of conversations about the weather and everybody enjoyed them. Of course, uh, back in those days, we didn't have so much weather. 
You know, the weather was pretty much the same every day, day in and day out. It was absolutely wonderful. And so I'm looking, you know, one of my grandchildren has bought for me this uh, Alexa. Is that his Alex A? And Alex A. And he's programmed it to have conversations with me about the weather. It's going to keep me occupied on those long days in between reruns of Matlock and the Midday Show. And then, of course, I never miss Sean Hannity. Uh, I have to get one of my friends to tape it on uh, on the VHS, you see, because I'm normally in bed by 7.30. But then when I wake up in the morning, I'll have a good conversation with uh, Alexa about the weather. And then I'll sit down and enjoy my Hannity programming. It's going to be wonderful. I can't wait. So all of those positives aside, all of those positives aside, <laughs> so what could possibly go wrong with having smart devices in our homes, listening to everything that we've done. Uh, for new listeners to the show, I've spoken about this before. I've done some writing previously about the Internet of Things. I wrote an article once for an industry magazine, and it was dealing, you know, I was trying to get the point across to electrical contractors that their world is going to change in, you know, five years very, 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 very quickly. And it's all got to do with the Internet of Things and how quickly this stuff is being rolled out. Now they're talking about smart homes, but four or five years ago, they were already uh, bringing in the Internet of Things, talking about smart factories. And the example that I used in this piece was a factory in Germany, a Jeep factory, which is 100% fully automated. And the days lost due to breakdowns in the production line and malfunctions and stuff like that went from, I forget how many days it was. It wasn't even that many, but it went to zero. So the factory ran 365 days, 24 hours nonstop for an entire year. And the way that it did that was, thanks to the Internet of Things, putting a microchip in every piece of hardware in the factory, uh, you no longer needed maintenance guys. Once upon a time, you had to have maintenance guys go around constantly checking things and you had to wait for something to break before you could fix it. Well, thanks to this technology, the machines now monitor their own maintenance levels and they now order their own replacement parts. So the machine can sense when a particular nut or a particular bolt is starting to go, when a particular mechanism is starting to strain. And what happens is the rest of the machines on the production line they then pick up the slack for the machine that's not working at 100% efficiency until somebody reads it on a computer and says, uh, you know, bolt number CX13-2 in machine, you know, ABCD needs to be replaced. And somebody just comes straight out, replaces it, the factory keeps rolling, the production line keeps moving, and nobody even noticed that it happened. So that's been happening for a while in industry. I've had conversations with someone who does this for a living, who goes to factories in the United States. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he goes to different factories in the United States. It's big business. And he, sa he does sales pitches to factory owners that they can go full automation and save a shit ton of money. So as is often the case, when technology goes into these areas, it starts to filter down to us at the consumer level. So while they're talking about having all of these devices listening to us 24 hours a day, constantly listening to everything that we say, now it's, now it's going to be an advertising pitch. Six months ago, nobody wanted um, devices listening to them 24 hours a day. So now they're going to start gift wrapping it. In six, six months from now, you won't even remember 
that you didn't like having devices listening to everything in your home. That was a design flaw. Six months from now, it's going to be a design feature. And they're going to say, how great is it that Alexa just listens to everything? How great is it that I have these devices in my home that literally listen to everything I say and know when I want to order a pizza? When the, when the, the, the device knows when we need a pint of milk. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, yes, Betty, it's the best. And you'll be one of those annoying people at the cocktail party saying, I, I, I thought we didn't like devices in our homes listening to us. And they'll be, oh, shut up. Look at Pol Pot over here, afraid of technology. <laughs> Dude, it's science, okay? You can't argue with science. Stop trying to argue with the scientists. Don't you trust the scientists? <laughs> listen to grandpa over here, worried about the machines listening to If it didn't listen to us, how do you think I got this pizza for this party tonight? <laughs> Are you kidding me? This guy. Who invited this guy? That's That'll be you in six months. So I ask the question always when it comes to things like this, what could possibly go wrong? Home invasion, a Milwaukee couple says their smart home was hacked. Their camera began talking to them. Their thermostat reaching. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> because... Whatever is hooked up to a computer, whatever has a computer chip in it, whatever is exists on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, can of course be hacked. That is the nature of the beast. You know, I used to think smart homes were a great idea until my camera watched me take a shower and said, nice ass, lady. Like, I wasn't expecting that. Home invasion, a Milwaukee couple says home their invasion. smart home was hacked. Their camera began talking to them, their thermostat reaching upwards to 90 degrees. Ashley Sears is live tonight with a warning for others. This sounds like a movie plot. <laughs> a movie plot. I hope the protagonist isn't a white guy dressed as a clown, otherwise we'll never get to see the ending. It does, uh, Ted. The Westmoreland family installed a Nest camera, thermostat, and doorbell about a year ago. They didn't have any problems until last week when they heard a voice talking to them from a camera inside their home. It's supposed to make me feel safe, and I didn't feel safe. Why, 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 young lady, did you think putting cameras in every corner of your home and microphones that listen to you and cameras everywhere, why would that make you feel more safe? Why do you think that is? I'll give the uh, audience a moment to think about it. Why do you think that people now believe that mass surveillance is safety? Where do you think that idea comes from? That's some thinking music. Could it possibly be the fact that we have been normalised over a very short space of time to not only accept mass surveillance, but beg for it? We need facial recognition cameras because you need to be protected. <laughs> you know those awkward pat-downs at the airports? That's nothing. Wait until we stick a biopic camera up your, uh, your JJ. Gotta check if you got drugs in there, sweetheart. Sorry about that. <laughs> people have now been so in the space of a few years we've been normalized to the point where we think that we're going to be safe as long as somebody is watching us 24 hours a day isn't that fucking horrifying 
Roxbox in the chat says George Orwell. There's a tremendous quote from a comedian, and I've said it before, and I should have this quote because I've used it so many times, and I keep forgetting who the comedian is and what the quote is because <laughs> I'm, I'm an idiot like that. But the quote goes something along the line. You'll be able to find it on Twitter or something if you Google it. The quote is something along the lines of, George Orwell was right, except that he he didn't he he couldn't foresee the fact that people would be lining up to pay for their own cameras. So he was right, except for that, and we do, we beg for surveillance now. You're going to be that guy at the dinner party. Yes, that's a great analogy from Fritzer in the chat. We've been inf- uh, infantilized, infantilized. God, it's getting late. Need the baby monitor. We're all hooked up to a mass baby monitor. Keeping tabs on us. Mummy and daddy government. Oh, Mummy and daddy government have just been placed, re- been replaced by mummy and daddy corporation, who in turn will be replaced by mummy and daddy government of the corporation of the people. See, they don't have to own uh, the companies. They can just regulate them. And it's just as good as owning them. A place of comfort that turned creepy Tuesday. And my heart was just racing. I was I felt so violated at that point. Yeah. Samantha Westmoreland returned from work to a blazing hot home. The thermostat. <laughs> they turn the thermostat. Do you think that now here's a here's a here's a question for you. Do you think that the hacker was turning the thermostat up to try and get the young lady to perhaps remove articles of clothing? That would be my first instinct. <laughs> Not as a hacker, just as a guy. <laughs> Like, you just picture some nerdy guy on the other end of the camera watching her. <laughs> hey, maybe if we uh, turn the... Vo- maybe if we make it really hot in there, she'll, like, take a shirt off or something. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. How did you come up with that, bro? Because they're incels, you see. So straight after this, they went to a preview screening of the Joker with an AK. Stat turned all the way up to 90 degrees. She thought it was a glitch, setting it back to room temperature, not realizing then it was only the beginning of a roller coaster 24 hours. It gives me the chills just talking about it. The thermostat continued to go up, up and a voice began speaking from a camera in the kitchen, then playing vulgar music. So I unplugged it and I just turned it facing the ceiling. She and her husband. Am, am I the only one that's autistic enough to think when they said and started playing vulgar music that now all I want to know is what kind of music they were playing? <laughs> now, now all I can now all I have in my head is like, what kind of music would this lady think is vulgar? Is it death metal? Is it gangster rap? I need to know. See, why do you leave out the important details? Yeah, yeah, mass surveillance. Yeah, yeah, Big Brother. Yeah, yeah, smart home phone, uh, smart home hacked. Whatever. Uh, what music did they play to you? <laughs> I need to know. Maybe I've got, I've got that band. I love that band. Really? You think they're vulgar? Boom. We're off in a different conversation tangent. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that, we're talking about the rock and roll of the late 1980s. Didn't even realize it. I should be working for these companies. And changed their password, but the problems persisted, eventually contacting their internet carrier and... Porn music isn't vulgar, though. People are saying porn music is vulgar. No, porn music's... Porn music's pedestrian. It's not vulgar. It's just kind of in the background. It doesn't really do anything. You've got to have a horn in there. It's always got like a tinge of funk to it. 
It's not vulgar. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like elevator music in the 1970s. Changing their network ID. They believe someone has. <laughs> Follow Q says Cardi B. Now that I now that I can get down with. <laughs> Rod Stewart. Rocks boxer. All the rhythm of my heart has been like a drum. And the words you learn, hey, take your shirt off. Whoa, I don't remember that lyric. Oh, never will I roam, for I know my place is home. When the thermostat is high, you get naked. What? Did, did Rod really sing it that way? But come to think of it, it is a little hot. It is a little hot in here. Wait a minute, is that is that camera talking to me? <laughs> into their Wi-Fi and then their Nest. And if someone hacks into your Wi-Fi, they shouldn't be able to have access to that uh, those Nest devices no. without some kind of wall that they have to get over. A couple. Yeah. Oh, now we love walls. <laughs> now we love walls all of a sudden. You know, it shouldn't be so easy for people to just come into our system. We really should have some kind of wall to at least make it a little more difficult for people who just want to roam in and start fucking with our stuff, right? By the way, uh, Donald Trump's idea for a wall is dumb. We should never have a wall. That's so archaic. Mm. Mm. Is upset their $700 system was a gateway into their home. Oh, gateway drug. $700. Hopefully, someone hears this and this uh, awakens them or to? alerts them to this is happening. The Westmorelands yeah. want others to be aware hackers are outsmarting the smart home. People need. <laughs> See? The way this is presented, though, it's not it's it's not going to be presented as you shouldn't have this kind of invasive technology in your home. That won't be the crux of it. The crux of it will be we need we need government to monitor our invasive technology to prevent hackers from doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this is how dumb we are. People will watch a story like this and say, well, I really think the government needs to step in. <laughs> That's how far from the tree we have fallen, folks. How far down the down the river we have sailed. People will watch a little two-minute news clip like this, where hackers hacked into their smartphone devices, turning up the heat and talking to them on a camera and playing vulgar music. And instead of saying, wow, we really should rethink this push that everybody is trying on us to get us to install all of these microphones and cameras in our home, I don't think it's a really good idea. Like, I don't think that this makes me feel safer. If anything, it makes me feel less safe. Instead of saying that, people will be saying, you know what, it's really unsafe to have all these devices going around without the government monitoring it. We need a government reg we need a government department, we need to set up a task force. We need to get everybody who's got these devices on a nice big database, and that way if somebody hacks into your system, we'll be able to find who it was. <laughs> people will fucking fall over themselves to vote for that. <laughs> generally but we use the default password i don't understand how this happened to be educated and educated know that this is real and this is happening yeah. and it is super scary yes it is 
And the Westmorelands are not alone with this problem. There have been other similar cases uh, reported across the country. We reached out to Ness but have not yet received a comment back about this particular incident. Why would they talk to you directly when they can just watch you taking a bath? We reached out to Ness to uh, for a comment, but nobody returned our phone calls. And then later on that night, as she's dropping the gown to the floor and slipping into a nice bubble bath in the hot tub or whatever, she just hears a little voice <laughs> over the camera. <laughs> so, you like writing emails, huh? What? Nothing. It's a little hot in here, don't you think? This is weird. This is creepy. There are so many things to be annoyed about, but I want to give you—I want to give you a feel-good story now. I want to give you a positive story, something nice to end the show on, perhaps. Actually, I don't know if I'll end the show on this. What happened to the Area Fifty-One thing? Remember, all the people were going to storm Area Fifty-One. It was going to be this great thing. We had very strange, potentially homosexual men on YouTube doing their hair and putting on lipstick for some reason. Remember we, that video we played? Saying, well, you've got to look your best for the aliens. And we remarked that he's doing his best to look like one of the aliens. Maybe he wants to get smuggled in. I mean, he had glitter on his cheeks. Didn't look distinctly human at that point. Putting that to one side. Uh, the storming of Area 51 was going to be this big event. Remember, millions of people were going to turn up? Well... Millions of people did not turn up. You'll be unsurprised to know. But somebody did turn up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to report that the whole hoopla, the whole the whole <laughs> the whole thing when it came to Area 51 amounted to literally a PR stunt by a porn star. That's right. <laughs> it was all about getting cameras on porn stars. I wouldn't be surprised if it was funded by the porn industry. Hey, let's all go down to America 51. Well, about 25 thirsty men showed up and one young lady whose stage name is Riley Reed, who I who I've been led to believe has starred in over 100 or 200 uh, pornographic films. <laughs> and she was there shaking her ass for the camera. And the government authorities. Slap them cheeks. Slap them cheeks. Stormy was there as well. We're not here to rescue the aliens. Everybody, no more games. Line up. We're ready for it, baby. You better be ready to catch me. I'm running. Ten. Nine. This is literally the whole gathering. And it's easy to be flippant with these kinds of things, but if you think about it, it's really, really smart. Like, who more than porn addicts are going to be showing up to a, an event to storm Area 51 in alien costumes? You know what I mean? When you think about the kinds of guys who spend their life to UFOs, uh, spend their lives, you know, searching for UFOs, spend their lives in forums talking about aliens, discussing aliens, what kind of people the aliens are, what kind of aliens the people are. Talking about the latest in uh, intergalactic spaceship technology. And then after they're done with that, I know it's a cliche, 
but then sitting back, kicking back, putting the feet up on the table and relaxing to another volume of Star Trek episodes. What kind of guy (laughs) is going to be into that? I suspect it's the kind of guy who wants Riley Reid's autograph. (laughs) So the porn stars got down there. They marketed the shit out of this, General Eaton. They know their niche exactly. They know their audience. And they didn't disappoint. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero! No, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. Go no, back to the car. Back to the car. There you have it. <laughs> the whole the whole rating of Area 51 was literally nothing more than a pornographic PR stunt. Isn't it fantastic? <laughs> They're geniuses. They're geniuses. Um oh, I'm tempted to do this now. No, you know what? I might wait till tomorrow. I've got a couple of other stories that we could go to, but we'll we'll save them for tomorrow in a similar vein quote-unquote, pun intended. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us tonight on this edition of The Daily Boogie. If you'd like to become a uh, supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to send porn stars to raid my alien nest, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Don't forget to please follow our friends at RealPersonPLTCS, at ChrisMC44, and at YCensored underscored, and anybody else who wants to call me their friend. We're all friends here. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening to me ramble on about uh, art and Western civilization and all of the things that I find horrifying moving forward. (laughs) So I'll be back tomorrow with more of the good stuff at 6pm. Until then, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.